Brothers and sisters, as we look at the first verses of Ephesians chapter 2, it makes it very plain there, very plain that because of our sinful deeds, we were subject to God's wrath. And I would ask, was it because of an arbitrary decision of God to save some and damn others? Obviously, we know that's not true. It is because of our own choice to follow the dictates of our own sinful nature. And each of us were headed to an eternity apart from God into a vortex of unspeakable pain, forever darkness, and eternal hopelessness. And I guess as I looked at that verse the last time I preached here, I guess Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 is becoming one of my favorite verses. But God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. You know that verse in itself is a beautiful verse. And yet if you and I look in the context, we look in the first verses of Ephesians chapter 2 and we see where we were headed. And then we read verse 4. And I say, oh, what a wonderful verse. I hope that verse is precious to us because that's where you and I were. We were subject to God's wrath. We were headed for an eternal hell. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us. I hope that's precious to you this morning. It should be. I'm blessed by God's omniscience who saw our hopeless situation in eternity past. And God prepared a lifeline of salvation in his son, Jesus Christ, that we could be redeemed back to the Father. Our destiny, our destination for eternity hung in the balance of our choice, either to accept or reject salvation through Jesus Christ. I say praise his holy name. The last sermon I preached here at the peak, we considered God's word and what it had to say about the eternal destination of those who reject God's provision, those who were going to an eternal hell. But this morning, I'd like to turn, turn the coin over and consider what God's word has to say about those who accept God's provision for salvation. And brothers and sisters, I will tell you right up front this morning, I feel woefully inadequate for this presentation, both in vocabulary and ability. But I trust God's word and the Holy Spirit will give us a beautiful glimpse into that holy city. Title of the message this morning, The Eternal Home of the Redeemed. I would invite you to John chapter 14 for a text. John chapter 14, verses 1 to 3. Jesus, speaking to his disciples, said this, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, or many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also." I think it's beautiful as we look at this account. Jesus was standing in the shadow of the cross. 
And he pointed his disciples to future glory in heaven. He was not so concerned what he was facing. He was concerned for his disciples. He was concerned for you and I. And he was pointing to the, to the future glory that we can have in Christ. What beauty. What selflessness. What sacrifice. And when Jesus said here in verse 1, let not your heart be troubled, it seems to refer back to the previous chapter, chapter 13, verse 36, where the Bible says, Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? Jesus answered him, whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. So the recent events for the disciples seem to be hard to understand. Instead of Jesus setting up an earthly kingdom like they expected, Jesus foretold of his death on the cross. How unsettling do you think that would be for you? If you was one of Jesus' disciples, you was looking for him to set up an earthly kingdom, and Jesus foretold about dying on the cross, how unsettling would that be to you? And instead of being with his disciples like they desired, he told him he was leaving. Think how traumatic that would be. But I'd like to think of a parallel. And I would submit to you that when things seem to be spiraling out of control in your life, Jesus would come to you and say, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Are you facing struggles and temptation, trials and problems? Are there things that you're going through that are difficult? I believe Jesus desires to come and say, let not your heart be troubled. In essence, Jesus said, believe in me. I have your best interests at heart. That's our God. Verse 2, here in John chapter 14, Jesus assured the 12 of his absence, that in his absence, he would be preparing them a place, a glorious habitation for them. He calls it a place, a tangible place, a habitation. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And then notice in verse 3, notice the heart of Jesus. Jesus said, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Abraham tells, I'm sorry, Hebrews tells of Abraham that he, he looked for a city which hath foundation, what? Whose Correct. Abraham was looking ahead. He was looking for that city which hath foundation, whose builder and maker is God. I would like to ask you, is that your goal? Is that your focus? Are you look, looking forward to that city? Are you looking forward to something beyond this earth? I hope we are. Seems like the longer I stay on the earth, the less stable and the less appealing it is to stay here. I hope it's giving us a desire to move on. So I ask, is that your testimony? Do you have the testimony of Abraham looking for a city which hath foundations? I couldn't help, as I was preparing for this sermon, to think back about three years ago when Sally and I went to visit Eldon Rhodes at his on his deathbed, the family had gathered around his bedside 
and they were waiting. Um, I was looking, there's Lois. I did tell, call Lois and ask her permission to share this because I didn't want to hit her, hit her broadside. But as we were standing around that bedside with the family, waiting, uh, Brother Elton was largely unresponsive. And we began to sing, what a fellowship, what a joy divine, leaning on the everlasting arms. What a blessedness, what a peace is mine, leaning on the everlasting arms. And although he had been rather unresponsive at that point, when we started singing, he came awake and he started to sing along with, with, those, with the songs. And it was a blessing to the family. After we finished singing that song, we sang the song, My Savior, First of All. And I would invite you to sing with me and sing the first verse of that song as we think about looking beyond this life. When my life work is ended and I cross the swelling tide and I'm hungry of this resurrection, I guess Sally and I were really blessed to be, be there and for him to sing along. If I remember right, he knew the words and he was singing right along and it was such a blessing uh, to be a part of that. And then we left and the family continued to sing and I'm not sure at what point he passed away. But a man looking beyond this life to something better. Jesus said that where I am, there you may be also. I'd like to illustrate something on their first point. I'd like to think about the three requirements of salvation. People can't just desire, well, they want to go to heaven and think that they're going to make it through. I have here a set of keys. And keys are important. Keys give a person authority. Keys give power and key, keys give access to, to something and Jesus has made it very clear that if we want to make it into heaven we have to meet the requirements I'm going to take these keys Brother Dave would you come get my keys you can set my Brother Dave didn't have to listen. He didn't have to obey me. But he did come up and he did pick up the keys. By picking up the keys, doing what I ask and picking up the keys, Dave now has authority. He has power. 
he has access uh, to our house, to my pickup, and to the church here at the, here at the peak. Jesus said there are certain requirements that must happen if we want to go make it into heaven. And I'd like to share three that come from Hebrews, all three from the, chap from the book of Hebrews. The first one is Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. What are the requirements that Jesus said we must meet if we want to make it into heaven? And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood there is no remission. Jesus was the one who made the way. He is the provision. And when I spell provision, I like to use capital P because Jesus is the provision Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. It reminds me also of what Jesus came, I'm sorry, when Nicodemus came to Jesus in John chapter 3, he came at night and he had some questions for Jesus. John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. There's the first requirement. Ye must be born again. We can't just wish our way into heaven. Ye must be born again, Jesus said. Drop down to verse 5. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And it's interesting. Nicodemus continued to ask questions of Jesus and drop down to verse 10. Jesus answering and said unto him, Art thou a master or a teacher of Israel, and knowest not these things? Nicodemus didn't have it all together, but he did come to the right source. He came to Jesus and asked questions. And I believe that you can tell at the end of Jesus' life, uh, it made a difference. Secondly, from Hebrews, the second requirement would be found in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. But without faith, another requirement, it is impossible to please him. And the third one, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Follow peace with all men. And holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. So the first requirement is the shed blood or you must be born again. Secondly, without faith it's impossible to please him. And the third requirement, without holiness no man shall see God. It seems to me that conversion is the entrance into the Christian life. But holiness is required, a sanctification a time of growth, we need that sanctification, that holiness in our life. And it's kind of interesting as we think about the keys that, that Brother Dave came to get. Jesus said if we meet the requirements, we also can have the blessing. Number one, 
I would say that because of our following the directive that Jesus has given us in the word, we can have salvation. Secondly, we can have the Holy Spirit. And thirdly, we can go to heaven because we have met the requirements. Now, I'd like to consider the conditions of the new Jerusalem. Turn with me, if you would, to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21, verse 1, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. Here we have restoration. The first condition of the new Jerusalem, we have restoration. A new heaven and a new earth, restored to mint condition. I was in the chicken house this morning, and I had a calendar there, of an old Oliver row crop 60, and it must have been back in the 60s, I don't know, but somebody had restored that thing to mint condition, at least it looked like it. There was another larger tractor in the background, but tractors that probably were 80 years old or close to it, I don't know how old they were, but somebody had restored them to mint condition. Now, as we think about sin and what has happened to our world, Jesus has promised to restore, and I think in pristine, in perfect condition, Jesus will restore the new heaven and a new earth. Why? Because sin had introduced all kinds of defilement and all kinds of struggle. And notice here in chapter 21, verse 1, the Bible says there'll be no more sea. It's my understanding that sea or the sea, you think of the tossing of the waves that represent evil and violence and unrest. And the earth will no longer be subject to the powers of Satan. No temptation, no bondage. There will be no more sea. Perfect restoration. Secondly, I like what we have here in chapter 21, verses 2 and 3. You all don't need to turn back to it, but I think I'm going to. Thinking about what Jesus promised the disciples, John 14, we read it already. John 14, 2 and 3. In my Father's house are many mansions, or many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. It seems like what we see here in Revelation chapter 21, verses 2 and 3, that is a fulfillment of what he had promised in there in John chapter 14. Verses 2 and 3, And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared. Jesus said, I will prepare for you a place, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, and he'll be their God. I think that is a beautiful fulfillment of what Jesus had promised there in John 14. Notice in chapter 21, verse 4, we have the removal of the five tragic results of sin. Revelation 21, 4, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, 
and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. What is passed away? Tears and death and sorrow and crying and pain. As I thought about pain, I thought of Judy Yoder, who goes to the Floyd congregation. Uh, Judy Yoder has had chronic back pain for years and years and years. Um, It's my understanding that her pain was so bad that I think maybe there's been a time or two that she's passed out because of the pain. But her pain has been so bad that they, at one point, they had two chairs, two lazy boys in the back of the congregation. That was so Eli Yoder and Judy Yoder could sit in them. Uh, And I guess if any of you feel like that you need a lazy boy, we can put some in the back if you are to the point where your pain is so bad and you want to come to the congregation. I think we can make accommodations for you. But my point is this. Judy has experienced tremendous pain. But you know, in heaven, those things are going to be going. Praise God. And I couldn't help to think about Pablo Yoder. Maybe some of you seen the uh, link that I sent about Pablo Yoder. If you did, okay. And if you didn't, that's okay too. But it's my understanding that Pablo, in his last few days, the family would go to him and they said, Dadito, or daddy, that was in Spanish, Dadito, are you hurting? And he said, yes, all over. He's hurting all over. And then toward the end, he said, oh, I feel so unworthy. I feel so weak. But he said, there's no known sin. All is well. That was Pablo's testimony. There's no known sin. All is well. He felt weak. He felt unworthy. And brothers and sisters, I'm assuming that's the way we should feel when we come to the end of life. I don't care what position we've held, what we've done for God, we'll feel so unworthy because of his blessing and what he's done for us. Let's move on. I have nine conditions, and this is number four. I like to think about the size of the city. Chapter 21, verse 16, we're moving, we're not considering all the verses. Chapter 21, verse 16, and the city lieth four square. And the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height are equal. It's my understanding that 12,000 furlongs is 1,400 or 1,500 miles. Now, when Sally and I travel out to see Wayne and Sharon when we're driving, it's 1,130 miles to Hayward, Wisconsin. It takes us 18 hours to get there. This is beyond that. Can you imagine coming to the edge of a city and driving for probably close to 24 hours straight through and you just get to the other edge of the city? Driving in a vehicle, that is from one place. I'm thinking on a horizontal level. I can't explain to you the vertical level. 1,500 miles high. Breadth, length, height. Whatever, 14, 1,500 miles in, in a cube. 
We'll move on. The fifth one is the beauty of the city. Chapter 21, verses 18 to 21. And the buildings of the wall are of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like unto clear glass. And the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third a chalcedony, the fourth an, an emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardis, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysopolis, the eleventh adjacent, and the twelfth an amethyst. And the gates were twelve pearls, every several gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, as it was transparent glass. I guess the gold that we know of today is not transparent. It's beautiful, but you can't see through it. Imagine a city where all the streets are completely gold and it's transparent. You can see from one foundation on up and you have the, the lights, the foundations, you have the gates and all these precious stones and you think of the, the light of God illuminating, permeating this whole place. Imagine the, the beauty, the thrilling colors this, this morning I was in admiring the trees out here in the parking lot. Um, appreciate the trustees and the trees they planted. And that's just a small thing. God makes beauty here, but I can't hardly imagine what will be on yonder side. The beauty of God's light shining through all these beautiful stones and colors and pearls. What a sight that must be. The beauty of the city. It kind of reminded me some years ago, long years ago, when I get old, I might overlook the passage of the years, but years ago, Sally and I took a trip with another two couples, and we went fishing in the Gulf Stream. And when we got out there, the, wa the water in the Gulf Stream is a different color. That's what is in the ocean. It is a light blue, and we could see way down, way down in the water, and the sun was, was real bright and shining, and you could see down in the water. And we did catch some fish, some dolphin. Now, not porpoises, but dolphin. And these fish had iridescent colors like yellow and green and blue and orange. And when you was pulling up through that water, it was, the color was, was beautiful. I'm assuming that is a, a small indication of what the iridescent colors in heaven might be, but I couldn't help but think of that. It was, it was right beautiful. Number six, there's no temple, or no temple was needed for worship. Chapter 21, verse 22, the Bible tells us, and I saw no temple therein. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. You, you and I know that in the Old Testament, the temple was the center of worship. That's where God dwelled, the center of worship in the temple. Now, this morning, we came to a house of worship. But just think, when we get to heaven, there is no temple there. Instead of going to a house of worship, we go to an object of worship, which is God and the Lamb. We don't go to the temple of worship. 
we go to the object of worship. And I personally think that's going to be one of the greatest things. Yes, we're looking forward to meeting our loved ones, but to see the one that has made it possible, the only one that made it possible that we can be there, it seems appropriate that we would throw our crowns at his feet if we have one. The seventh is the illumination of the city, chapter 21, verse 23. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. I don't have a lot to say about that other than the glory of God and the Lamb permeate this city. No need of the sun, no need of the moon, no need of any external lights or anything. The light comes from, from God and from the Lamb permeating this whole city. I don't believe you'll see a bunch of shadows in heaven. I believe the light will permeate, penetrate the whole city. Eighth, no security system needed. Chapter 21, verse 25, And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. The gates will continually be open in this beautiful city giving free access to any part of the city. Now, I don't know if I can point to Scripture to substantiate what I'm about to say. But I would like to suggest to you, and if, if I'm wrong, I'm willing to be corrected. I like to think of the, the New Jerusalem as a city. And I would suggest to you that heaven is much larger than the city. If I'm wrong, I don't mean to be sacrilegious and I'd be willing to be set straight. But as you think about the New Jerusalem being a city, I like to think of heaven as the unlimited space outside that city. Maybe this will help illustrate it. I did go to Google to look this up, I found out that New York City, there's 402 square miles in New York City. But New York State is 55,000 square miles. So New York State is approximately 100 times larger in land mass than the city of New York. I don't know, is that making sense at all? How big is heaven? I have no idea. The Bible does tell us how big the, the city is, how four square, 1,400 or 1,500 miles, but I'm assuming that heaven is much larger than the New Jerusalem. The last one I'd like to consider is the, regist the registry of the inhabitants in chapter 21, verse 27. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Here's the registry. All those inhabitants in heaven, their names are written in the Lamb's book of life. I would ask you, is your name written there? Are you up to date? 
like Pablo. There's no knowing sin, all is well. In conclusion, and maybe before I share the conclusion, I was considering to, to finish, to be done with this subject of heaven today. But as I looked at chapter 22, I thought there's some beautiful things on heaven in Revelation 22. So you can pray that the Lord will give me direction whether we go elsewhere or we come back and consider Revelation chapter 22 and the beauties of heaven and some other truths there in God's word in Revelation 22. In conclusion, through his word, God has graciously given us a glimpse of the eternal home of the redeemed. Are you ready today to hear that trumpet sound? Or should we be called from this life and death? And brothers and sisters, I realize that I really just scratched the surface. Because the Bible also says, I have not seen, nor heard, nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. May God help us to look forward to that city with which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. May God bless you. Shall we sing?